Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, good morning. Thank you again for joining us in worship here at Grace Community Online. Cannot wait until we get to gather again corporately and be together and sing together and greet one another and worship the Lord through our giving, through serving, and through hearing the Word of God face-to-face. We don't know when we'll be able to uh, meet again, uh, if that will be here at the church or if maybe outside. We'll be looking at our options and communicate that as it becomes available. Let me invite you, take your copy of the Word of God and go with me to John's Gospel, the last chapter, John chapter 21. We have been in our series, Live Boldly, and I trust that as you have seen the Lord Jesus Christ revealed in Scripture, that that is encouraging you to live boldly for Christ. What can Jesus do with misfits and failures? And here's a spoiler alert, all right? At the end of the day, he changes the world with these men who failed him, these men who deserted him. He changed the world. He wasn't finished with them. He found them. He loved them. John 21 gives us this eyewitness account of how Jesus reached these men. It shows us in this final chapter, he didn't walk away from them. He didn't throw them away. He took them, he loved them, and he brought them through the final stages of discipleship into a place of completion where he could use them and through the Spirit of God change the world. So what changed them so radically? That they would learn to love one another and forgive one another, even and up to willingly offering their lives in service to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What was it? It was love. It was the love of Jesus Christ that they would come to know all of them except Judas. Judas would not remain long enough to see the mercy and grace and forgiveness of the Lord. He checked out sadly and tragically, never experiencing the true mercy and forgiveness of Christ. He lost all hope. And I trust that if you're tuning in this morning, if you're listening to this message, that you will hear words that speak life and words that bring hope. And it's found in Jesus Christ. John 21 We've been looking at what is the master's recipe for restoration. How did he restore these men? And we saw in the first three verses that Jesus searched and he found the doubters. He found them in the middle of their frustration. They had gone back to their former way of life and they failed miserably. John 21, follow along as I read. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And Jesus searched, and Jesus found them. When he found them in the middle of their failure, Jesus spoke words of peace. 
They were discouraged, but he spoke words of peace to them. He communicated concern for his men, and he also had command authority over creation, over nature, over fish. He had demonstrated that before, but we see in John 21, verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, okay, so that's John, the the author, the writer of this gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Jesus spoke words of peace to these discouraged men. He loved them. We saw thirdly, what is the master's recipe for restoration? Jesus served. He served the disciples in humble kindness. He served his men. And Jesus displayed providence. He supplied for them. Partnership, he shared with them and invited them to share with him and pleasure by serving them. And we see this beginning in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them in verse 10, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is the third account in the Gospel of John of Jesus appearing to his disciples. He provided, he shared with them, he served them, and have breakfast. How then is he going to continue after this breakfast? And we begin looking at this last Sunday in our last message. In verses 15 through 19, Jesus addresses Simon Peter. He speaks the truth in love. And this is for a reason. This is for a purpose. It's for their discipleship. It's for their training. Jesus was so intentional. In the three years, he would always invest into leaders. And generally, it was Peter, James, and John. Those were the three among the 12 that Jesus had with him on several occasions that he didn't take the other disciples along. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him a second, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He, Jesus, said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you phileo me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death he, Peter, was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So last week, we looked at these verses and we saw that Jesus was restoring the denier. The denier, the person who denied him three times, was Simon Peter. And he was three times questioned by Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you love, and he used that word agape, agapao, do you love me, this strong commitment of love? Do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me? He uses that word again, Simon, do you phileo me? Do you love me? And he was, Peter answered Jesus those three times, I love you, I love you. And that third time he was so frustrated, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus then commissioned Peter three times that Peter denied Jesus, three times he's questioned by Jesus, three times he's commissioned, feed my lambs. And then he, and Jesus says, tend, shepherd my sheep, feed, pasture my sheep. Jesus was not done with him. So we saw the pattern for restoring Peter and for anyone by Jesus is address the heart. Peter had to be addressed in the heart. This was a difficult conversation. Jesus asked helpful questions. He affirmed the relationship. The gospel is applied through the whole ordeal and allow for healing and return to usefulness. This is the pattern for total restoration. How do we forgive? How do we see people restored? Now, imagine if you're Peter, how uncomfortable you are. All of the focus has been on you. Peter didn't ask any questions. He was the first one in to the shore. He was the one who brought the fish. He's feeling under the microscope. It's all pressuring in on him and the attention he wants to put on somebody else. So follow with me in verse 20 of John 21. Peter saw or turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, when he saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, to Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. 
Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of God. We saw how Jesus in love, how he reached out to restore the denier, but now we're going to focus on and turn our attention to John. How does Jesus restore the deserter? John fled from the garden also. Now, John would end up being the last of the living apostles. And he grasped what Jesus was saying. He came to fully understand who Jesus is, the character of Christ. And he communicated six truths here in this text about Jesus, who is God. And if we come to terms, if we grip this, if we understand this, then I believe that we can live boldly in light of these six truths. And the first truth that we see here that John gives to us is that Jesus is faithful. And we see this in verses 20, 21, and 22. And it's a reality, my friend, that, that our friends, that our family, they will let us down. They will fail. We will lose them one day. If we're honest, we have let down. I have let down people that I love. And at, at times I didn't know I let them down. At times I didn't, I didn't mean to let them down. And at times I've, I've been stubborn and I let them down. And I've failed. We've all failed. And what we're seeing here in this passage, in this gospel, is what does God do with people who repent, who admit their sin and come to Christ and find he is faithful? Peter was given the news just a few moments ago in this text. You are going to be crucified one day. This was a lot for him to handle. He was looking for a diversion. So he turns his attention over towards John. Beloved, we have to reject all fake rumors. Even Satan twisted Psalm 91. In, in saying that if God is good, then he won't let anything bad happen to you, Jesus. I've been in funeral homes, and I remember a, a, a brother in Christ, a professing Christian, look at me as a pastor and say, I thought God was not supposed to give me more than I could handle, and this is more than I could handle. We have to reject that which is not true, and we must believe the genuine promise of God. The genuine promise found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is that God will never allow his children, followers of Christ, believers, Christians, those who have trusted in Christ alone, never allow us to be tempted beyond that which we are able. But it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has taken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God will make a way of escape. We do not need to sin. There may be consequences. Most all of the disciples would be given more than they could handle, and they have all died. So in fact, they were given more than they could handle. They are not still living. 
but they were given a way of escape to die in faithfulness, to die confessing Christ as Lord. Peter, once again, here we see him in John 21, taking his eyes off Jesus. He turns to John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Lord, what about this guy? What about this man? Peter was trying to compare his circumstances with John. And as soon as we begin to think like this, my friend, we, we stop thinking about God and his mercy and his grace and his love demonstrated toward us and that none of us have been given what we deserve, but that God is patient and he's merciful. Envy, jealousy, oh, those are thieves of our joy and contentment. And so here's Peter feeling uncomfortable and he says, Jesus, what about John? What about this guy? Let's talk about him. What's gonna happen to him? John learned and displayed not only that Jesus is faithful, that God is faithful, Jesus is faithful, but that Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. When Jesus says, and he gives this response to Peter's question, he's just straightforward. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. God is in control. No one tells God what to do. And if you doubt that, I encourage you, read the book of Job, especially the beginning, the first two chapters, and toward the end when God shows up and answers and addresses Job. He actually gives him questions, helpful questions. No matter what we see, no matter what we think, no matter what we feel, we can know that God is always working all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called, according to his purpose, just as Romans 8.28 says. And my friend, this is such a tender promise. As we're in the middle of a global pandemic, as people in our congregation have been affected, maybe you have been affected by this, maybe you've lost your business, maybe you've lost your health, maybe you have said goodbye to a family member and you're grieving the loss of a loved one. This promise of Romans 8.28 is a, is a jewel of great price. Because we can know with confidence God is sovereign. God is working all things together for my good and for his glory. And that doesn't mean that I can give you an explanation for all that you have gone through, for all that you are going through or will go through, but I can point you to the one who knows. I can point you to the one who sent his son to die in our place and he put him on a cross and Jesus surrendered to the cross so that you and I could be shown mercy and grace so that we couldn't earn his forgiveness, we couldn't earn his love and we deserved hell, but he died in our place and I can point you to Jesus so that you can have a hope knowing that God is absolutely sovereign. That means that he doesn't ask anyone permission to do anything. He's God. And we can trust him. So Jesus responds to Peter in a direct way about his will. And Jesus is basically saying to Peter, Peter, you need to mind your own business and you need to fulfill your calling. 
Stop worrying about everybody else. Well, what they said, what they posted, what they told them, what they said, it doesn't matter. If God is for us, who can be against us? A lot of people. It just doesn't matter in light of eternity. So the psalmist says in Psalm 90 and verse 12, in light of God's sovereign command, his control over all things, all times, all people, and all places. Psalm 90, 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And we need to number our days. Our days, our life is short. We only have so many days. So let's not waste them. Let's invest them. Psalm 139 and verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. God is sovereign. He is clearly, as you read in Scripture, in command of all things, and we can trust him. What would we rather have? A God that doesn't know what's going to happen? A God that cannot deliver? But like I said, all of these men would end up dying. That does not mean that God is not sovereign and that God is not faithful. They are in the presence of the one who died for them, the Lamb of God, this very moment. And one day, if you know Christ, you'll meet them in that reunion, in that city. Some years ago, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Beauty Will Rise, that's the album. The song is Our God is in Control, and I remember how important this was when when his daughter, Maria, their daughter, Maria, Mary Beth is his wife, their daughter was tragically killed in their driveway. A vehicle struck, didn't see this little one, and she died. And out of these ashes, out of this severe trial and testing, came this work, Beauty Will Rise. And I remember listening and absorbing and worshiping with this album, going back and forth from a hospital, visiting a friend and being with a friend who was dying and would die of cancer and listening to these songs. Things are not how they should be. Our God is in control. And that gave such comfort to me. It helped me because I could sing. I could worship when I still had all, kind, all types of questions. And some of those questions have only become more complicated since that day. But one day, I will know as I'm known, and I know this, our God is in control. Jesus responded decisively to Peter. He said, Peter, follow me. You follow me. In verse 19, he said, Follow me to Peter, but if you just at that, that's a present imperative. It literally means keep on following me. Now Jesus says directly to Peter, You follow me. The Apostle John is showing that Jesus was lovingly teaching Peter and everyone else don't put your focus on other people. Do what Hebrews 12, 12 2 says. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Peter, fix your eyes on me. John, fix your eyes on me. 
just this week, April 28th, 2020, Minkai passed away. And you have maybe heard about the account of the five missionaries that went to the jungle in Ecuador. And there they, they landed this plane on the beach. And Minkai was one of the men that tragically, uh, there's a picture here of him as a young man about the time, a few years after, the five missionaries that landed on that beach were speared to death, and he was one of them. Well, Steve Saint went back with a family member into that jungle, and basically Minkai became like a grandfather to him. Forgiveness was shown Menkai became a follower of Christ, and the five men that their lives were given on that beach on that day in 1956, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and Ed McCulley, those five missionaries, their lives were given to bring the gospel to the tribes, the Waudani in Ecuador, and then the grace and mercy that Minkai would become a follower of Christ and repent from all of their ways. And there, this murderous tribe, they would stop murdering people. They would be radically changed. Now, in 2006, 50 years later after this event happened, Steve uh, Saint came with Minkai, and there was the end of the spear, a book was released, and a movie was released, and they, they traveled and they told. And this is what Minkai, in the obituary that Steve Saint wrote and updated on May 1st, he writes this, Minkai's most frequent speaking theme was this, we lived angry, hating, and killing for no reason until they these individuals and those who followed them brought us God's, and what did he call scripture? God's markings. Now those of us who walk God's trail live happily and in peace. And then Steve recalls that he would often ask this question in these events where he would share their testimony. How long did you have God's markings before you brought them to us? And he would say, well, I don't know. But he'd say this, maybe if we had known sooner that the creator did not see it well that people should live angry, hating, and killing for no reason, we could have walked God's trail sooner. What a powerful testimony that in God's sovereign plan, five men would die and a church would be born. And I will tell you, that testimony of those martyrs was influential in my life and development in surrendering everything to say, God, I could do this, I could do that, but I'm surrendering to you to do whatever you want me to do. And God used those men, their testimony, their families in calling me into full-time ministry. John declared that Jesus is faithful, Jesus is sovereign, and also we see that Jesus will return. And Jesus just says that so directly until I come. 
He's clearly promising here that he will return again. It's unmistakable. And there are so many promises, my friend, about Jesus' first coming, humble birth, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, so many prophecies and promises fulfilled in his first coming. But there are more about his second coming. I was just listening, and The the Last Dance is a documentary about the Chicago Bulls, and I grew up a a Bulls fan in the Chicago area. And I never knew that the, the Hall of Fame coach, Phil Jackson, grew up like I did in a pastor's home. And his parents were consumed with the second coming of Christ, he shared in one of the documentaries. And as he grew older, he walked away from that teaching and began to embrace all types of other religions and Zen Buddhism. And there are so many people like him trying to come up with answers to questions like, why is there evil? Why is there suffering? And always struggling at that answer. Well, Peter would write, the the same individual that Jesus would say, one day you will be crucified in 2 Peter 3. Verses 9 through 13, Peter, this apostle Peter would write, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. That's global warming of its Uh, its extreme form, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This day is coming. And Peter would write, it is not that the Lord is weak, that he cannot deal with sin and he cannot deal with evil and he can't deal with you and he can't deal, oh, he can deal with us, but he's patient. He was patient with Peter and he was patient with John and he's been patient with you and he's been so patient with me. He's merciful. So may I ask you this question? Jesus is going to return. Are you ready for his return? Fourthly, we see that Jesus is personal. He's personal. And and in verse 22, Jesus just, he just directly says to Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus loved Peter to the very end. This is so good for us. Here, Peter's trying to avoid this uncomfortable position that the Lord Jesus is putting him in, but it didn't work. Can I ask you the question, who or what are you waiting on to surrender your life to Christ. What more can he do than he has done for you? If you doubt that, I encourage you, read the gospel of John and pray. Say, God, show me Jesus. Show me your goodness. Show me your love and your mercy. Show me my sin and show me my Savior. And read the, read the gospel of John. Take him at his word. Jesus had a plan for Peter. It included suffering. It included trials. It included blessings. And one day, glory. And he would write about that in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. When Pastor Doug Long came, and that sermon is on our webpage. That sermon is on our, our church media page. 
talked about exchanging, a right side, right-sizing our salvation. Peter had a blessed hope. But now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. That may happen. But he was looking to this blessed hope. Following Christ, my friend, is always personal. That you must personally, you must turn from your sin and trust in Christ. No one can do this for you. You must confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And Paul writes in in Romans chapter 10 that then you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? This is personal. Fifthly, we see that Jesus is true. He's faithful. He's sovereign. He will return. He is personal. He cares about you. He cares about justice. He cares about truth because he is truth. Jesus is true. So because he's true, he's trustworthy. We can trust him. Now, rumors began to spread with this little soundbite that Jesus said, well, if he remains until I return... And the rumors began to spread that there was a notion that John would stay alive until Jesus returned, but that's not what Jesus promised. Here we have an eyewitness account from John. He also authored 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, those epistles, those letters. He was the author that that the Lord delivered to us by the Spirit, revelation, the unveiling of Christ. He knew that Jesus is true. We have his eyewitness testimony. I don't know where you were, if you were even alive on Sunday, May 18th, 1980. But this is a picture of what Mount St. Helens used to look like. We're coming up on a 40-year anniversary of Mount St. Helens erupting. And that whole top segment of the mountain just launched. I don't know where you were on that day, but on May 18th, I was eight years old and we were in Great Falls, Montana. Now, in 2016, we as a family went to Yellowstone. And I was sitting there and Sophie was with me and Lola was with me and we were listening to one of the park guides talk about millions and millions of years ago and all of this and millions and millions of years ago, uh, this, uh, you know, certain type of volcano, which is what uh, Yellowstone is. And they were describing that. And then the instructor said this. She was about half my age. She said, Mount St. Helens, a volcano erupted, and the ash extended as far as Idaho. And I'm sitting there, and I was biting my tongue through all the millions and millions of years. But when she said that, I, was, I, I, I said to my daughters, that's not true. I was almost 750 miles away in Montana, and I remember on that Sunday the ash falling in Monday and Tuesday and two inches of ash being everywhere and wearing scarves. And so here she was, and she was confident in what she was saying, but she didn't have an eyewitness testimony. I did. And an eyewitness testimony will always trump the account of someone who has hearsay knowledge. I wasn't there, but I heard. John is an eyewitness. He heard what Jesus said to Peter. And so he's correcting the the legend that had gone out that John is going to live till Jesus returns because one day John would die. 
And if their hope was in Jesus will return before John dies, and then John died as an elderly man, now where is their hope? So he is concerned about the next generation and the next generations to have their confidence in Christ, in Jesus revealed in Scripture, not in hearsay. Not in what people say about Jesus, but in what Jesus actually said. That is so important that we rightly observe what Jesus said. What did he say? What did he mean? That's interpretation. What did he mean? And then how does it apply? Once we rightly understand what he said and we rightly understand what he meant in that day, in that language to those people, now how do I obey this? How do you put this into practice? In our lives. Listen, if the whole world stands against the truth of Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me, and the whole world says, We think Jesus is wrong, and we think that you can get uh, into eternal life by dying a tragic death, or by just doing good works, or by being part of this church, or by being baptized, or by taking communion, then the Word of God says in Romans 3, uh, verse 4, that though God, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. If everyone stands against God, they all fall. God is true. He cannot lie. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, my friend. He cannot lie. So we must put his trust in his word, not in our feelings or in what someone said about him, but in what Jesus said himself. This brings us confidence in the truth. This brings us unity in the spirit. And both of those John dealt with. In John 15, this confidence that would come. In John 17, the high priestly prayer. And Jesus prayed for those, not just those who were present with him, but those who would believe upon their testimony, which includes me. And it may include you. I pray that it includes you today, that we would be one and there would be unity as Jesus prayed in John 17, 20 through 23. Oh, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus will return one day soon. He is personal. He is true. And lastly, my friend, Jesus is glorious. Jesus is glorious. And as this gospel comes to a close, the writer simply says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose. And he just uses hyperbole here that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There were so many things that he said. There were so many things that he did. How could we give them all to you? So what has been given to you is enough. It's exactly what God intended for you and me so that we might believe, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be adopted by this King of kings and Lord of lords, so that we might receive grace and mercy and life that never ends. He's given to us exactly what we need. But we must trust him. You must trust him. He came the first time and he will come again. Are you ready? Are you ready? You may not be ready right now, but you can be. And I want to close this entire series of living boldly, going back to John chapter 3. Because I've made one case throughout this whole thing. If we are going to be changed, it's not going to be by my words. It's not going to be by a lecture. It's not going to be by guilt. It's not going to be by anything other than the love of Jesus Christ, experiencing his love. And when John, in John 3, in verse 16, this is what, this well-loved verse, 
For God so loved, and that's that word agape. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? This love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's his first coming. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That was the purpose of Jesus coming the first time. That we might be redeemed. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But listen, my friend, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Have you believed? Are you trusting in Christ alone? Or are you trusting in Jesus plus baptism? Jesus plus, I, I was a, my born, my dad's a pastor. Uh, Jesus plus, I'm a member of this church. Jesus plus, I do good deeds. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus minus nothing is salvation. It's God's love in Christ. You have either received the gift or you have rejected the gift, proclaiming that you're part of the giving. But we're not. We're only the ones who sin. And we need to receive God's gift of salvation. John 3 closes that chapter, John 3.36, with these sobering words. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. My friend, Listen to this eyewitness. Listen to what John has given to us. Jesus is faithful. He's sovereign. He will return. He is personal. He is true. And he is glorious. He is worthy of your life. He is worthy of my life to make much of him. So I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not in a hurry to die, but I am not afraid to die because there is a greater cause to live for and it's Christ who defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he's given me life that never ends. So what can come against me? So my question to you, and after this sermon, there will come questions that you can take a picture of the screen that you can consider, that you can think about, talk about with those you might be watching with this message. But ultimately, in response of Jesus, the Jesus revealed in Scripture, how should you respond? What is your next step? And I'm encouraging you, take that step as soon as you can. Today, reach out to us. Send us an email. Let us know you're listening. If you... Pray and give your heart and life. You receive Christ today. You repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you let us know? Would you share that? We would love to help you get started right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for life that never ends in Christ. Thank you for the hope of your word. And I pray for those who are grieving this morning, those who are struggling right now, wherever they are, I pray that they would look to you. I pray that they would trust in you. I pray that they would follow 
you, Lord Jesus. Help me to follow you faithfully. Use my hands, use my feet, use my lips to proclaim and to show your goodness. And I pray that for all who are listening, that they would know your love and live boldly for every day that you give to them, that I would live boldly every day you give to me for the glory of Jesus alone. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.